0: Baker Mayfield, undraftable, off my board. The Cleveland Browns select Baker Mayfield. What a beautiful throw by the Baker. Big job. Hasta la vista, baby. Welcome into the OBR Film Breakdown. It's your host, Jake Burns. Hope you're having a great week. We are pushing along through our Around the AFC North segment as we are looking at the teams in the Browns division that they will be competing most closely with. And we have done one with James Rapine of uh, SI's Bengals coverage. And then we did one with Ken McCusick on the Ravens last night where he does film study Baltimore. Uh, I really enjoyed that one as well. So if you're interested in either of those two and have not listened, please go back and do so. As you know, if you listened yesterday... We have a, uh, I I should say I, am having a little segment at the beginning where I talk about what's on the OBR pick a key thing uh, in Brown's circles and chat about it for the day. So, unfortunately, the big news is what happened to Callie Brownson, the Brown's assistant. It's made its way around social media. She's taking uh, pretty heavy uh, criticism for what happened, and deservedly so. Listen, I am not one to judge mistakes. I think people make mistakes in their life, something that they would like to have back. I know I have made a mistake in my life. I would like to have back, but uh, you know, you 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 pay what you pay. You pay your debt to society. You pay your debt to your personal life. You deal with the the, the ramifications of what happens to yourself individually, whether professionally or personally, and you move on. I think that Cali obviously should be held accountable for what happened. Uh, I was held accountable for things in my life that happened. And, uh, you know, you deal with the fallout of what happened and then you try to pick up the pieces and move on. It does not sound like uh, anything all too severe will come of it for her. She will get suspended, uh, which is, you know, grounds for suspension are obviously there. Kevin Stefanski said she will keep his job. It is, again, not my place to judge the punishment, not in my place to judge Callie. All I say is that people make mistakes. Uh, we, we all don't lead perfect lives and i hope that she can come back from it and 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 turn this wrong into a right in her life and that she learned a lesson and there are lessons to be learned from the mistake that she made the video i did not enjoy watching i don't i don't particularly find enjoyment out of watching the toughest part of people's life i think it, it's it's about how you learn from a mistake one mistake in your life can happen at any moment at any time how do you learn from it how do you become a better person can you do that i have no doubt that she can find a way to do that so i hope that she can and uh i do i do believe that she will so We wrote up about this a little bit in the OBR Newswire. Again, um, you know, it's out there. I'm not going to really spend any more time on it. I hope she comes back from it. Other things going on around the Browns, uh, the gathering in Austin, Texas, OTA's replacement for the skill position players, Odell's there, Uh, David Njoku's there. There's a whole bunch of them there working out with Baker, staying having a good time bonding. They'll be ready for next week. Not at all concerned about that. Uh, I think they're probably in a good place to be doing these things with where their current understanding of the offense is, so on and so forth. And I have no doubt that the offensive line uh, is putting in the work as well. So that's an exciting thing to see is those guys spending time bonding. OTA Updates, Fred Greetham was live there for coverage. Did a great job today. Tons of videos. Got a look at John Johnson on the field with JOK doing some drills. We have updates on the main page of the OBR looking at uh, everything that happened today. Fred wrote a write-up of some of the things John Johnson had to say, particularly the sky is the limit for the Browns' defense, so check that out. And Browns' season ticket holders, it's just crazy. The Browns have hit their cap of season tickets, and there's a 10,000-person waiting list with a $100 deposit that does go toward your tickets if you do get that opportunity to get them, but it is Pretty wild to see how excited everybody is for where the Browns could potentially be going this year. Uh, and everybody wants to get a crack at season tickets for this uh, hopefully prolonged stretch of success. So it's 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 a, uh, it's a demanding, demanding ticket. We have a great guest today lined up to talk about the Pittsburgh Steelers. Before we do so, though, I'm going to talk to you guys real quick about an opportunity going on at Blue Wire if you're interested in podcasting or if you would like to help out your own podcast, get a little bit more help uh, in the professionalism. If you're enjoying listening to this podcast, the OBR Film Breakdown, what's stopping you from grabbing a mic and starting your own show? And there's no better place to host than Blue Wire Hustle. Hustle was created to give everyone the opportunity to take your podcast to the next level. Or if you want to host a podcast and just don't know how to start, Hustle is the perfect place for you to do so. I know Brad Ward with All Eyes on Cleveland uses Blue Wire Hustle. It's fantastic stuff. As a part of the program, you'll receive personal cover art, Q&As with Blue Wire's top podcasters, access to community Discord, and an e-learning course full of tips and tricks. And on top of all that, we'll get your show pushed out on all of the major uh, podcast hosting places such as Apple, Spotify, Google, Stitcher, and many others. And the best part is you can get all of this for just $15 a month, the same rate as any other hosting site would charge just for the initial setup. So if you're ready to do more than just listening to us talk about your Cleveland Browns, then make your own voice heard in Hustle. Acceptance into the program is limited, so get your application in today. To apply, go to bwhustle.com slash join. Again, bwhustle.com slash join. Check out the description box of this episode if you want to find out more. Now we get over to our guest, who is Nick Faribault, who is at fb on Twitter. He's a Steelers writer for Pittsburgh Sports Now. I think he has great takes, realistic takes on where Pittsburgh is, where they're going, and I wanted to get his opinion on uh, on all things about this franchise. So so let's get over to uh, this interview with Nick and see what we can learn about the Pittsburgh Steelers. Nick, we're excited to have you in, man, talking. I saved Pittsburgh for last because it's a, I think it has a chance to be a really A really special rivalry again and you know the Browns haven't held up their part of the bargain for so long and now we feel like we're to the point where uh, the Browns have some sort of year-to-year consistency coming you know it hasn't happened yet but the writing's on the wall that they at least have competency in place and, and we think big things are coming and I know Pittsburgh has been a benchmark for this team or sorry for this division for a long time and the Browns are chasing it last year kind of headway was made felt like uh, we, between Week 17 and the wild card game, it just kind of felt it was a unique experience to Cleveland fans and one that I'm sure Pittsburgh fans dealing with Cleveland were not all too familiar with. So I know it started 11-0, it didn't finish the way everyone expected, but, like, what's the general feel? Was last year viewed as a complete failure because of what happened, or were there silver linings you guys really liked over that way?
1: Well, there were definitely, definitely a lot of bad tastes in in everybody's mouths. I feel like from the players to the coaches especially to the fans. I mean, you start out 11-0, and and as a team, you expect, you know, we're going to be Super Bowl contenders. I mean, the Steelers, from really the time they went about 9-0, and 10-0, 11-0, they were talked about as, you know, can they beat the Chiefs? I mean, that's how Steelers friends were viewing it. This was Ben's maybe final rodeo. Obviously, he's back this year, but, you know, that was perhaps Ben's last year, maybe his best chance to win a third Super Bowl. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, it, it's pretty much a complete failure. Um, I mean, Ben didn't look great. The team really faded down the stretch. Kind of everything fell apart offensively. The defense was injured. I mean, everything was just really bad for the Steelers down the stretch. And I feel like that season last year, yeah, they started 11-0. and And that might give some people reason for optimism. But I think how everything played out from the Browns loss to, you know, losing to the Washington football team to that Ravens game on, what, Wednesday, Um, Really, everything from there on, the loss to the Bengals, obviously, as well, um, in Cincinnati, everything that kind of just went down over those last few weeks has really left a bad taste in everybody's mouth, really around the Steelers organization period. So, yeah, it's not a good feeling heading into this offseason for the Steelers, and I feel like that's definitely carried over into OTAs and into minicamp and, and all of that stuff.
0: Well, I'll be honest. You read stuff on the internet, Nick, and you 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 know you can't avoid it. People talk. I think I think whether it's pro football focuses social media account, which I just don't love sometimes, and and it, it spreads. Like there's just a general consensus that this is the end for Pittsburgh. Like they have met their end of the line. They think Ben, and we'll talk about Ben a little bit more later, but they think Ben is at the end of his career, hanging on by a thread. They, there's all of these things about how Pittsburgh has run. Uh, into the end of this this long stretch of of dominant success in the division, uh, I know Mike Tomlin. L- listen, Pittsburgh, just like we talked with Ken McKusick last night from Baltimore, they're beacons of consistency. That's what makes them who they are, and and I talk about this all the time in my pod here, where we're we're going through the division and we're talking about where the Browns stand in the comment. I just I cannot count Pittsburgh out until i've seen them be out that's just not my nature it's the same with the browns and you just you have to see the browns do things over and over and over before your inside your first instinct is yeah the browns are going to be good i just have to see it i know the talents i have to see it and i think pittsburgh the other side of it and this just could be my side uh but this national perspective is like pittsburgh is at the end of the line so like with mike tomlin I guess I'm looking for for your opinion, Nick. Like, is the end of the line something that you guys are seeing where it's like, okay, we're going to have to reset. There are pieces to build around, which we'll talk about, but it's like a reset is in the future, going to have to look for a new quarterback. Or is there a true belief that this year can still be a really good year and can can kind of keep going from here without too, too many hiccups?
1: Well, I can tell you this. I think Tomlin, um, the whole staff, and the players, they think that there is a legit chance that this team – can re can win the AFC North again. They think that they can make the playoffs. They can make noise. I don't think this this is a bit of a transitional year. It definitely is because again, we'll talk about this later. There's a lot of factors, a new offense, kind of a lot of new guys on the offensive side of the ball. It's a transitional year in that regard, but I mean, Big Ben's back. So you have the vet back that the franchise quarterback since 2004 really. So you know, they're going to try and win this year, and I feel like they think that they can win this year. I don't think they would have gone all in on really the offense or you know kind of how they did this 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 offseason. It was kind of a bit of a wishy-washy offseason for them where they were like, "Well, maybe we need to retool, but we want to put the best team around Ben." And they drafted a team that they think can work around Ben. Otherwise, obviously they would not have picked Najee Harris in the first round. Yeah. Um so I feel like, you know, I feel like they think that they can win this year. I don't think that they're throwing in the towel or this is a you know start of a rebuild year. I feel like they believe that they can win the division and make some noise in the postseason.
0: It's it's going to be fascinating because there is a, there are such opposite ends of this spectrum where things could go well for Pittsburgh again and they compete. Uh, and, And I expect that until it doesn't happen, like I just said. But there's also the other end where things could become disappointing. Ben's body doesn't hold up. You're forced to play Mason Rudolph again, or something of that nature happens. And maybe the expectations aren't met. Maybe maybe eight and nine, nine and eight, seven and ten, or something like that. You miss. Is there a way in which Mike Tomlin's not with the Steelers next year? Is the I guess is my question is is the relationship that tenuous right now after what's really been a decade of teams that have been good enough to win big important NFL games but haven't really found a way to do it?
1: No, I think Tomlin is this team's coach into the future. I think he's going to be the coach for a, a pretty long while here in Pittsburgh, unless everything kind of falls out below this organization. I think that Mike Tomlin, you know, the Steelers have a a very specific organizational philosophy where, you know, they let Bill Cowher go through many seasons of mediocrity and losing and and not getting to the big one um, before he finally won one and then obviously retired um, after that Super Bowl win a year after. Um, I feel like Tomlin's kind of gained this, the stature in this organization where he almost can leave when he wants. You know, he just got an yeah. extension. Um I feel like Mike Tomlin, he could be here 15 years from now still coaching the Steelers. Kind of depends on how you look at it from his perspective, but I think he's going to be here for the long haul. He just got an extension. I don't think there's any chance Mike Tomlin is not the coach of the rebuild. If they go in, get a quarterback, Tomlin's going to be there. I expect Mike Tomlin to be here. Now, you know, maybe is that right? Is that wrong? The man has 14 straight winning seasons. He's never had a losing season, obviously. Um, He's had success. He's made it to the playoffs. He hasn't had a lot of success in that postseason recently. And there's obvious flaws. His game management, he's not aggressive enough. You know, a a lot of stuff that goes around the Steelers can get chaotic. But I feel like Mike Tomlin has proven himself and gained the stature to where he's going to be in Pittsburgh for really as long as he wants, unless the bottom just falls out under him.
0: Yeah, I— I mean, Tomlin has been so good for so long, and it's it's uh, th- these playoffs. They're just they're lotto tickets sometimes. And you're right. You can nitpick any coach. You can nitpick Belichick if you want to. Uh, I I just uh, I'm just curious that because there's some of those things that that flowed out there. I know there was a lot of uh, a lot of heat that was going on, especially when that Browns loss happened in the playoffs. And you know, actually, after, after everything calms down. I get curious. Does the fan base chill out? Does everybody realize? Hey, we we have it really good here. We're kind of being knee jerk. So I'm always interested to ask that question, especially to Baltimore side of things and Pittsburgh side of things. Uh, and it, it's going to be a, an interesting storyline to to follow because it's going to be something Mike hasn't done a lot of if they have to transition. And again, I'm not saying they are. Not predicting that, but it is in the realm of possibility, especially when your quarterback is getting an old, the age that he's getting to. You have to start thinking about where does the future take uh, take this team to. But for the now, I do see them as being competitive, very competitive in this division. They hell they won it last year. They're the defending champions of the AFC North. I think they made some tweaks to to Tomlin's staff. Talk about those tweaks and why you think those could ultimately be beneficial.
1: Yeah, the the biggest tweaks are on the offensive side of football. Um, I mean, just let's just talk about Matt Canada and Adrian Clem coming on, and and also Chris Morgan, the assistant O line coach. And I want to specifically highlight Morgan and Clem because these are guys, you know, have worked in wide zone schemes. They've worked in zone heavy schemes. And Matt Canada is also a guy that, while he has these, you know, diverse run schemes, he runs a lot of gap concepts, still power counter, um, all that stuff, all that good stuff that comes with the gap in the zone schemes that. You know, outside zone, inside zone, split zone, whatever you want to call it, mid-zone. Um, Canada kind of runs all of that. But they have an emphasis on zone blocking. This has been something that they have really taken up this offseason. An emphasis on aggressiveness in the run game. They want to be nasty. They want to set a tone up front. That doesn't mean they want to run the football more. They just want to run it more efficiently. They want to run the football better. Last year, they were the worst rushing team by a mile in the NFL. It wasn't even close. Ben had to throw the ball 50, 60 times because they couldn't run the ball, period. I mean, and that's why, you know, that short passing game was essentially the extension of the running game. And I think that when you look at what they've done with Matt Canada, the motion is obvious. So much pre-snap motion. It's not just, you know, jet motion. It's orbit motion. It's fly motion. It's trade. It's uh, it's, it's all this yo-yo motion. All these different types of motion. And he gives you different looks. And then he can kind of read... How this defense is going to react to this look, and then we can call this play, and then we can attack it this way. And, and Matt Canada has really been a big factor in this offense. He, I, I remember
0: when Canada was at Ohio or was at Maryland. Ohio State went up there. You know, us Ohio people were follow them closely. Goes go to Maryland. They almost beat a really good Ohio State team, and I was enamored with Matt Canada because what he was doing to manipulate Ohio State's defense. With, with pre and post, with like you said, trades and shifting strength of defense, they ripped Ohio State apart. I think Ohio State had to get a goal line stop with like, I don't know, it might even have been a two point conversion stop. It was something close. It was a two or three point game. And I'm like, Matt Canada is going to be a star. So of course, with everything that I think it ends up being close, whether Baltimore, Cincy or Pittsburgh, it's in Pittsburgh, he's going to be there. So you guys are excited about him.
1: Very excited about Matt Canada. The offense looks different. And if you know anything about Pittsburgh, I'm certain Steelers fans know this, but I'm certain Browns, Bengals, and Ravens fans have also known this. Play action has not been a factor for the Steelers. It is this year. Play action coming a lot more. Rollouts. Jet sweeps are going to be heavy. Um, and th- th- there's also this element for Matt Canada with tempo. So he's going to switch up tempo. Ben's been a guy that really likes a lot of no huddle, but Matt Canada will slow it down. He'll keep a steady pace tempo and that'll go no huddle. So everything's going to change tempo wise. It's going to keep defenses on their heels. It's going to be, it's going to be a, be a s- fairly simple offense from the Steelers perspective because Canada can run different, l- different plays out of different looks, more 12 personnel probably coming as well. Uh, obviously the Pat Frymuth was drafted. Him and Eric Ebron are going to have some type of duo together, um, and, and it's going to be it's going to be a different scheme, completely different. Again, more zone, more play action, more rollouts, a lot more motion. The Steelers are going to be so different offensively. I don't think that you know the Browns fans are going to be able to really say that's the Steelers offense. It's going to be very different.
0: Yeah, that stuff's spot on about Canada. I, I the thing that's interesting to me is Pittsburgh has always been such a gun heavy team. Uh, they, they've always run from the gun a ton. Uh, it's it's always been a part of who they are. Every year I check it out to see you know, shotgun statistics because on the flip side of it, the Browns weren't running from the gun at all in the beginning of the season. Now, ironically, when they got to Pittsburgh Week 17, that was the only way they really found run success was they were running some quick gap schemes from the gun, and that's what Pittsburgh does. But just between James Conner, and I know I like Anthony McFarland a little bit from his time with Matt Canada at Maryland. I think he's got some potential as a guy for you. We'll talk about that in a little bit. Uh, to do some interesting wrinkles. Uh, But uh, I I just, I was just blown away by how ineffective the run game was. And then it turns into when teams start really getting up in your face, it's so hard to just find rhythm. Right. So um, I, I, I think this is the perfect, I I hate it obviously, because we're watching from the other side of things, but it's the perfect move for Pittsburgh. And it's the perfect move for Ben because they have to take the pressure off that man at his age. He has to get some schemed up throws. He has to get some things like that. So talk, talk to us about where Ben is. Like, is he, I mean, the the rumblings were serious about potentially splitting. Like, is he really on his last leg here? Or do you think he's got another, like, I don't know, Tom Brady, like second wind that he could find in in an offense that simplifies things for him?
1: You know, he could, um, but he's always, I think at this point, he's a game manager of, or point guard, facilitator, whatever you kind of want to call it. He's that type of quarterback now. He's not a guy that's going to, work out of structure, and and kind of make these great plays. He'll do it intermittently, but he's not what Ben was. And if anyone knows how young Ben looked, that dude could move, that dude could scoot. He's still tough to bring down, but he's not going to really do those magical things anymore. And Ben, you know, his arm, I, I don't think his arm is shot. I, I That's the one thing. You know, that's a talking point among some. His arm's gone. I think Ben still has te- t- juice in that tank. I think he can still make some tight window throws. I think he's still got – certainly has the ability to push the ball down the field. The question is, is it accurate um, more so? I think the biggest problem with Ben is his knees. Um, they're arthritic. He can't move very well. His lower body mechanics are awful, so at least the inaccuracies down the field in the intermediate game and pretty much in general. And, you know, Ben Ben's a guy that I don't know if he'll find a Brady wind because Brady is – this pocket passer extraordinaire, one of the best mental games really to ever grace the football field. Mm-hmm. He's this methodical guy. Ben isn't that guy. You know, Ben, even though his mental game is very good, because obviously he's been playing for 17 years, this will be his 18th season, it's not as methodical as a guy like Brady or or Manning ever was. It's He was a guy that kind of made himself special off those plays out of structure. And I feel like now he's just a game manager, but... You know, I think there is, I think you can win with Ben right now. I think you can. The question is, can he do enough to win you a Super Bowl? I'm not sure about that, but I think they can still be competitive with the current version of
0: Ben. Yeah, it definitely is a smaller margin for error, right? You know, I think with Ben, he could overcome so many issues of whether a scheme was initially covered perfectly, somebody breaks down in front of him. His ability to extend plays made him who he was. He was the version of pocket cam newton before cam newton like he could just do things in the pocket that you know we became so accustomed to him just defeating cleveland this way that it just became so disheartening over time that he was unique like that so to take away that that part of his game is is going to be challenging for him to overcome now you talk about moving some boot action stuff is is it do you think his his knees can handle it like overcompensating for the, the little bit of pain it is to run and push out of the pocket like that, that sometimes means that you don't have enough where you need it to throw a football on the run. So, like, are you nervous about him getting out of the pocket, doing some more play-action concepts? Or are you like, this will be okay. I think he can overcome it. I think he'll be fine, sort of. I guess it's like, to me, when I watch Ben run, he can still throw it. I have, You're right. I don't have issues about his arm. But but I do think that when his, when he's forced to move the body, it, it just looks painful, Nick.
1: Yeah, I'm I'm worried about that for sure. And and that's obviously going to cut out a section of Canada's offense if he can't do it. Um and and that's the thing with Ben is even when he's on the move, you know, he'll have flashes where he's on the move and he'll make great plays and you know, he's made a few really good throws on the run last year. Um made a really good one against Denver, another one I believe against Cincinnati, a few against Cleve- um Jacksonville as well. I mean, there were a few plays where you saw him make some great plays, but it's so few and far between, there was a play-action bootleg in the second Cincinnati game. They schemed up a play-action bootleg out of the pistol, and James Washington had his guy beat deep downfield. I mean, Ben was moving methodical. He never really planted his feet, and he just severely underthrew James Washington. It was ugly. So the, can he really overcome that? I don't know. I mean, that's going to be a question. Maybe he looks good early in the year because most of his good throws on the run felt like they were early in the year. And then after that Dallas game when he kinda banged up his knees, um, both knees in that game, he never looked the same. I thought that, you know, Ben was still a facilitator before that Dallas game, but there was something to Ben there that he kinda had a little bit of pep still in his step, and you were like, Yeah, Ben is he's limited more now, but we, we can live with this version of Ben because he can still do the throws on the run, he can do this this type of stuff. And then after that he just he was a statue, he was blank white, he was getting rid of the ball fast, and, uh, I mean, it, it was ugly. Um, it, I don't know if he can do it on the move. Now, I expect them to run a lot more pistol for him because, again, he doesn't love under center. Mm-hmm. They'll run under center a lot, but I think the pistol's perfect for him because he still can be in the gun, read that defense, uh, and, you know, that he can do what, what he wants to do from the, the pistol. And I think they found a lot of success out of the pistol later in that season. Um, they ran a little bit against um the Colts and they found some success out of that. Um so I think pistol's gonna be a big part of this offense, as is under center and shotgun still obviously. Um but but yeah, I mean his mobility is gonna be his biggest downfall and that is absolutely the biggest concern. Can he do those bootlegs? And time's only going to tell if he can hold up over a 17 game season with arthritic knees. I mean you there's no cure for arthritis.
0: There isn't. There isn't it's gonna it's gonna be a challenge. So when you start thinking about if this Pittsburgh team's going to be good, which they could, and I'll I'll say on Ben, I think people have swung the spectrum too far. I think people are way too down on him. I still think he can do enough effective things that he can be okay. And they like you said perfectly, he can game manage. Uh, like you know, people start to overrate and then it's underrated, and and it just flips out all of a sudden. Guys are so underrated that I think that um, he he's he's right where he needs to be. Like I, I I just it's so weird to talk about him in this way where it's like Browns fans are having this this fun time bashing Ben and what but I still think there's enough there people forget how effective he was for a large portion of last year but you're you're right about saying 17 games is a real challenge so you start looking at it I guess the question the big question and I'm sure it's something that is being discussed in Pittsburgh is is the next quarterback after Ben on the roster currently between Mason, I know Josh Dobbs got some snaps here and there, and then the interesting and I think smart pickup of Dwayne Haskins. Do you think that guy is on the roster, or do you think eventually they're going to have to go out and draft somebody?
1: Yeah, I think they're going to end up going and drafting someone. That doesn't mean they're going to do it in the 2022 draft. It's possible that they do get their guy in the 2022 draft, but I definitely think that we're looking at a guy in Mason Rudolph who has clear limitations to his game, Um, and he's a guy that while he's improved, I think, steadily, over his career, um, you know, that week 17 game against Cleveland, um, the the second Cleveland game, what was a little bit encouraging, it, it showed a little bit more improvement from Rudolph. He kind of gave his receivers one on one opportunities. Granted, that was Claypool doing a lot of burning and and all that. But Mason had a decent game, but I, he's more of a backup now. I think he's grown into that role. You know, Haskins is a guy that even when he's played, he's been erratic at best. You know, is, is there a guy that can you can point to that is going to elevate a team around him, be a franchise quarterback, and you know that that guy is going to be, you know, top 12 quarterback consistently? I don't think there is. Now, I think they have their future backup, as, as I said, um, in Mason Rudolph. And they might give Dwayne Haskins two years, um, which means they might just, you know, work with a Rudolph and then free agent acquisition next year, something like that. Or if Ben comes back, obviously Ben will be probably the start of it again. Um, but it, it's just it doesn't look like there's a guy that I can say is this guy is going to win a Super Bowl and he's the future quarterback on this team right now. I I have to think they're either going to you know do it through trade, do it through free agent signing, or draft their quarterback of the future. That's my thought.
0: Yeah, the only guy with a real ceiling there that could be that is obviously Dwayne, but. Way he floundered out of Washington, and the way he could, it, it was really obvious that he was not willing to put in the work and just thought this was going to happen for him. There's talent there, but there are flaws to the talent too. So if he's not willing to work for it, then it's like it's just a waste of everybody's time. So, I, from an Ohio State perspective, I'm not a huge Ohio State fan. I, I pull for them living in Columbus, but. Uh, I, I, I think you could see the writing on the wall in that draft and, and, uh, I hope it's a wake up call. Maybe he does figure it out and it's, it's, uh, it's a blessing in disguise. I'm pretty sure we'll know early between the preseason and camp what they think of him, uh, right away. So, uh, the, the thing that is going to probably change this offense more than anything is the running backs. And obviously the addition of Najee Harris is, is vital. It's important. it could, it could, it could change everything for them. It could change nothing. I don't know, but but he's at least a, a real talent at that position that hasn't had a real dangerous talent in a while, right?
1: Absolutely, Najee Harris is a type of back they haven't had since the departure of Le'Veon Bell, uh, especially because you know James Conner, as good as he was in that one year of relief for Le'Veon, I feel like the injuries just caught up to Conner, and you know he couldn't stay on the field consistently, and it really wore down his body, and then he just started to lose steps, and then. No one really stepped up other than him. I mean, Benny Snell kind of had here or there spurts, but he was never really special. McFarland probably came out a year too early. I think he could be something this year. Um, But Najee Harris is just a different type of back than everyone there. You know, he's the big type of back the Steelers really like, but he's quick. He's not super explosive or fast, but he's the type of guy that comes in and he doesn't have a lot of flaws. He's got great vision. He's got great lateral quickness. He can make you miss. He's powerful. And the most important thing is for the Steelers – He's great out of the backfield. You can split him out wide. You can make him run a full route tree as a running back. And you can use him in so many different ways. And that Matt Canada offense, I feel like, you know, Harris is going to be a big-time weapon for them outside. As I mean, they've talked about moving him as far out as the X. So I think they're going to use his receiving ability to the greatest capability they can possible. And he's also a great pass protector. He's the most complete back they've had since Le'Veon Bell here and you know he was more complete than Bell was coming out of college. So I think Naji Harris. He's 23, which is a little bit concerning. But I mean, look at the the guy and and what you're getting. You're getting high character. Uh, you're getting a guy that is really all well rounded, um, pretty much on all scales. And and this is a guy that does he really make a big impact though? And that's the question mark with the Naji pick was always. Can they get a tangible improvement from the running back position? Is that going to translate into a better running game? You know, it will tangi- it will translate into some improvement, but obviously we'll get to the offensive line later. But does Najee do enough to really push the needle forward where the O-line needs to be less, you know, emphasized? And I don't know about that, but I do think that Najee is going to be a big, important piece to this offense, both on the ground and through the air
0: you're right about the, the, not knowing whether it'll actually make any there's there's no doubt there's a skill increase there it's not even it's not even close he's a he's a dangerous player in both phases he will make the browns whoever they're playing pittsburgh is playing scheme against him he's going to be a focal point while that might not have even been remotely the case in the last few years and it's james Conner's tough because his body's been through so much already you know between surviving what he survived and and uh, to be able to do what he did is so commendable. So um, you know, not meant to ever knock him. He he was a he's a, he's a hell of a story. But um, we we should talk to we'll transition to wide receivers here because I'm interested in wide receivers. Obviously, it's it's still a very good group. It could be going through some transition. We'll see if Juju's back. We talk about the fly sweep stuff. We talk about Jet, all that movement stuff. Who who is. Who is on this, 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 of this grouping that is that guy? Or is it somebody in the backfield like McFarland who will do a little bit more of that stuff?
1: Yeah, I mean, so I think, you know, Matt Canada has really talked up kind of getting everyone as this interchangeable piece. So, you know, Juju will play in the slot and on the boundary, and Juju said as much. He really wants to play on the boundary today. Um, I think that's going to happen a lot. Juju's going to be on the boundary more, and then, you know, you're going to have... Deontay Johnson moving into the slot and on the boundary. Claypool as well. Um, And The interesting thing, Washington also, but the interesting thing that I think Ray-Ray McLeod's actually going to be a factor here, I think. He's a guy that played running back at Clemson. He's kind of that quasi-running back, wide receiver, hybrid, yak guy, explosive, return man. You know, you can use him as a receiver or a running back. So I think he's going to get a lot of that jet sweep action. He's going to get a lot of those pop passes. He's going to get a lot of those screens, Uh, But again, I do think that they're going to use their running backs, so McFarland, Najee. Um, I would expect them to use Claypool on jet sweeps. He was used a lot in that area. I I wouldn't expect Washington or Juju to get a lot of work in that area, Um, but I would expect Deontay Johnson as well. Obviously this guy is sometimes built of elastic with some of the cuts he can make, great yak talent. Um, So he's a guy that I think they will get manufactured touches to. but The interesting thing that I thought I would point out is Ray Ray McLeod actually stepping up and taking a role in the slot this year with Juju probably moving outside more. I think McLeod's going to become more of a focal point in the offense than even I thought.
0: Well, that that speaks to the transition I'm kind of talking about there because there's really not many teams in the NFL that have four wide receivers this talented. Between James Washington, Johnson, Claypool, and Juju, it's like they led the league in 10 personnel for a reason because they want to get their best guys on the field. You talked about Ebron, you talked about the investment into Firemouth in the second round there. So it becomes I guess my question is, what is the most talented personnel group for this team? Like who should be on the field? Who's gonna see a decrease in snaps, I guess, is what I'm getting at there. Because it has to happen yeah. in order to get those two tight ends on the field, or if you're gonna put McLeod in the slot, or if you're gonna put McFarland in the field in some form or fashion. It's just gonna get like someone's gonna get pinched out there. So I'm kinda of curious what it what the best one looks like and who might see a decrease uh in an in, in individual basis this year
1: yeah i mean l- listen it's, it's a simple answer first of all who plays the best i mean i think they're going to ride the hot hand and there's a lot of talent here i think james washington's unfortunately going to get a lot of decreased playing time and i hate to say that cuz i think he's a really good football player and he's probably a really good player that just i don't know if he fits the Canada scheme you know super well he's obviously fantastic down the field with those combat catches um, I feel like he's going to be pinched out of the lineup a little bit more, which is unfortunate because, again, I really like James Washington as a football player. I think he's a good player, strong, um, very strong-handed. He's very reliable. Um, but, you know, it, it, the question is, like, does e- I think Ebron might see a little bit more decrease playing time because, again, he can't block. So, you know, if you're just using one tight end sets and maybe you're using, you know, Frymouth and this has been another focal point of the Canada offense, he uses a lot of, you know, the H-back role, with those tight ends. So he's going to be moving a lot around. Um, he's going to be asked to do you know, split zone stuff. Um, Derek Watt might even get playing time over him. Watt's been doing a good bit of stuff um, with kind of working that H-back role recently um, as a fullback. I mean, it's going to be very interesting to see. If they need one wide receiver on the field, I would guess that might be Claypool this year. So my guess is you know, the decreased playing time is probably coming from Ebron, and probably Washington, but you know, if we're going to see a decrease in snaps from anyone among those big three, I mean, I would have to think it might be Juju Smith Schuster. And you know, I, I think you just look at what he's done out on the boundary. I mean, he had the big year with, with AB, but obviously, AB's presence really helped Juju with single coverage. Is he going to get that this year? Teams really focused on him a lot, and he didn't do a lot whenever he's been on the boundary absent of Brown. So. You know, especially taking your best press beater off the field and in Deontay Johnson and, you know, facing those physical teams and, and doing all that, I would have to think Juju might see a little bit of a decrease in snaps as well. Obviously, if Deontay can't hold on to the football and drops a lot of passes, he could see that. So it's really tough to predict who's going to get the drop. But preemptively, I'm going to say Washington, and, and you might see Ebron even be on the field a little less, and then other receivers maybe a little less Juju.
0: It's interesting. it's a, it's, a, it's a nice set of weapons, and um, you, you can you can see how they can interchange all those parts. But it's a, it's the a thing we talk about in Cleveland, which is a tight end focused offense, and they've invested at that position. But you want to get. Richard Higgins on the field more and it's like okay well someone can't be on the field because there's too many of these guys so that's uh that's always an interesting paradox to talk about is like the weapons but hey you can only put so many of those guys on the field who's actually not going to play so good stuff there let's talk O-line I think this is the focal point to whether they ultimately succeed or not this year it's it's I'm looking listen I used our lads for depth chart stuff and this is why I talk to you guys because you know the intricate details of this thing Zach Banner and and uh, Chuck Okorafor, look like they're starting a tackle. Is that kind of the tentative plan going into the year? How do you feel about them?
1: Yeah, I mean, a core four is going to be the left tackle, Banner the right tackle. But these guys are pretty question marks, pretty much question marks. And, you know, Banner is a guy that's had one start for the Steelers. He tore his ACL in that start, and he really wasn't that good against the Giants either. You know, he's a guy that is big and heavy. He doesn't really move all that well in space, so he's an odd fit kind of in this, you know, if this emphasized zone scheme is kind of a thing, he's a bit of an odd fit, but he's also mean and nasty. So that tone they want to set up front, where they really want to be aggressive hogs, is, is big time. I think that's that's exactly what he's going to do. Um, but again, you know what what he has going for him is heavy hands, and what he has going for him is that he's a guy that has continually improved every year. He's reshaped his body. He's shown improvement with his hands and feet working together, mixing up his pass sets. You know, the mental game, he used to not be able to pick up a stunt for his life. He's really improved on that. I mean, there's a lot that Banner's improved upon, but again, he's a bit of a question mark right now. And 4 started out really well last year. He's had some good performances against some premier talent. He shut down J.J. Watt last year without really much help. Um, he's faced Vaughn Miller before and done really well against him. Um, did great against Dante Fowler last year. He's done a, a really good job against some good players in the AFC um, and in the NFC for that matter. But a core four is a guy that he's athletic, doesn't have great strength, so he can get buoyed around a little bit. And he, he has this bad tendency to lunge forward. There's just a lot of technical deficiencies with him. But you also see the flashes against these high-end talents, like I said. You know, against He's faced Matt Judon, he's faced Carl Lawson, he's faced all these really good players, Carlos Dunlap. Um, that the division has to offer. Miles Garrett, obviously, as well. He's faced him a little bit, although that's been more Alville and a wave up. But, you know, he's, he's a guy that's shown improvement, but down the stretch, he was very bad. Um, everything was kind of out of sync. He was a guy that really was lost. So you don't really know what you're getting in a core four banner. There's flashes there that say, yes, 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 they could be the answer. And then there's other questions that are like, well, this could go really bad, and if it goes really bad, and Ben has to run for his life, then, well, it's going to be the same offense as last year, pretty much.
0: Yeah, which is the outcome that I know you guys are most afraid of, and and, and trust me, we've been down that road before in Cleveland. I, I think the guard play can be can be right. I mean, Kevin Dotson is is a, an up and coming talent. I like his game. I've watched watched some tape on him. Obviously, we you know David DeCastro's right. I, it's a matter of injury for him, and then. I, they list here Hassenauer as as the starting center, but I would imagine Kendrick Green might fit into that somewhere because we we loved his tape at Illinois. So where does the interior O line sit?
1: Yeah, Dotson and DeCastro are going to be the stalwarts. The, this is where the Steelers are going to have to win their bread and butter on the ground, probably inside zone duo. You know all this stuff that they're going to have to run probably through the interior of the line, and I think that. That's one thing that they're really going to emphasize this year. And Dotson's mean, and you know, DeCastro just dealt with injuries last year. He Had a down year. I think he'll bounce back uh, quite nicely. I think DeCastro obviously was a former All Pro, and and even when he kind of played last year, I thought it was decently solid. So I think DeCastro is going to be fine. But yeah, the center position is going to be very interesting for this team because nothing is earned with the Pittsburgh Steelers. Now they have played their rookies a lot more recently. Um, but, you know, he might not be the week one starter. What if it's B.J. Finney? What if it's J.C. Hasenauer, as you said? But Kendrick Green absolutely fits the scheme the best. He's the most athletic. He's probably the meanest. He's the strongest. He's definitely got the best pad level out of all of them. I and mean, he's also a, a natural-born leader. Um, but, yeah, you know, there's inexperience there at center, too. He didn't start that many games. Illinois at center, he started more guard. Um, so, you know, he's going to have to get the intricacies down, especially of a scheme like Matt Canada's. He's going to have to get all these intricacies down. But I think he's a guy that can really start from day one. And he's building a chemistry with Big Ben already. You know, he's a guy that I think, even with the size concerns that are obvious, that I think every Steelers fan has pointed out as to why he won't start, I think Green just has the, the best combination of athleticism, smarts, technique, to where you look and say he should be the day one starter and if not he's going to be a starter at some point and finish the season as a starter so I would expect that and I actually like that trio of Dotson Green and DeCastro on the interior and that the, the biggest questions are obviously going to be the tackles it's no question
0: well let's switch to defense so there's um there's a lot of familiar names that are back I mean the front getting after the quarterback is what makes Pittsburgh's defense. Pittsburgh's defense. Cam Hayward, uh, Tyson Aluwalu coming back was big. Uh, Stefan Tuitt obviously we know. T.J. Watt, uh, Devin Bush. So so we'll actually we'll stop there. We won't talk linebackers quite yet, although they are a part of your front. We'll we'll kind of talk about those four I've mentioned there. Uh, T.J. is is reaching his pinnacle. He's he's right there. Him and Miles are kind of like neck and neck at this thing. It, I know Cam's getting a little older. Tuitt's getting a little older. But the group is still dominant. I would imagine you still feel great about them coming into this year.
1: Yeah, no question about it. I feel great about that D line as a whole. You know, they can still play their multiple fronts that they love to—the bear front that they've recently kind of put in, quasi tight front. They've started a lot of four-eye play to really mm-hmm. count teams like Baltimore. They've done a lot of that recently. And listen, they have the personnel to do it. Um, it's it's going to be a great unit. I don't think Hayward to it. alo, whatever. Alu Alu was kind of the forgotten man last year. He was phenomenal at the he beginning. Good, yeah. He was very good, and I think he's going to be a guy that's going to step in and be great as well. And they even have depth. I mean, Warmly is a quality run defender off the bench. They drafted Isaiah Loudermilk. He's got you know familiarity within the scheme um, because Wisconsin runs a lot of similar stuff to the Steelers. Um, so, you know, I think that the biggest question on the D-line is obviously going to be Alex Highsmith. Um, yeah and kind of him stepping in, can he step in for Bud Dupree? I mean, when we saw Alex Highsmith last year, he was extremely good, very, very polished um, for a rookie, especially, you know, he had moves like the ghost move, has a very polished spin move, has a cross-chop, rip combination. He's got a really nice array of moves already for a guy that's only heading into his second year, and he's gotten stronger at the point of attack, so he should be a better run defender. He's a guy that moves well in space, so Highsmith's probably going to step in here, and be pretty solid. And they do have Quincy Roche as well out of Miami. I liked his tape a little bit. Um, so I think he'll be a quality outside linebacker three for this team. Um, so, you know, I think the line's going to be great. I think the, the the pass rush shouldn't really take much of a step down at all. Everyone's back, and and everyone's really played at a high level.
0: It's, it's as good as it can be across the league, and, and I think clearly the best in the, in the division. And uh, it's always something that I fear. I know that the Browns prepare for it so 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 much to get ready for what they bring because it's unique it's really unique and everybody in the division is chasing that it's chasing that stuff up front the way that the the consistency I should say the sack numbers pressure numbers year to year are are quite staggering I think the defense took a turn when Devin Bush left you can talk about the value of linebacker play I'm not going to waste you or my time we we don't have to do that Uh, but but you know I think that there was an element to this defense that it just took a step or two back without Devin Bush, a guy who can, range, you know, he can be rangy in the middle, and uh, I think was starting to really find himself before that knee injury. How's, he, how's his recovery, and and how do him and Vince Williams sort of look heading into this year as the inside linebackers?
1: Yeah, Devin Bush's recovery is coming well. He's zooming around the field. He looks really good. Um, so it looks like he's back. Didn't really lose a step. And and I totally agree with you. I mean, listen, the, one of the big reasons I thought the Steelers struggled against the Browns in that playoff game was because teams isolated Robert Spillane yeah. uh, out of, you know, th- for the Browns specifically, they would just go 12 or 13 personnel, spread them out. And then to that strong side of the three by two Jarvis Landry's on the inside. And I mean, Spillane just didn't have an option. And I think, you know, uh, from today, I mean, Bush said he could cover Jarvis Landry in the slot. He was asked that directly. Um, but I think they would have had a lot better opportunity with Devin Bush um, in that position. It's not a position they should be in, period. But you know that's that's something that they missed. They just missed him both in run defense too. I mean, he physically hits the hole and and fits the run well, and he zooms around the field sideline to sideline. They they had to tail back their combo coverages underneath, so they couldn't you know really disguise a lot underneath because again these you know Avery Williamson coming in, Spillane taking a big role. And again, Vince Williams was in and out of the lineup, too, with COVID, so they didn't really even have him. So, you know, it's it's a team that needs experience at the linebacker position, and Bush and Williams are are very good. Williams, the communicator, he's going to be a great run stopper, great blitzer, one of the best pure blitzing inside linebackers in the league, and I think they're going to be really good this year, and I think Bush allows them so much schematic versatility in just terms of playing man coverage. and and doing what they want to do with these combo coverages underneath and and tailoring that to kind of what they do on the back end because you know they they took, they simplified a lot of things underneath for for those linebackers last year and I think it just made it a lot easier on a lot of quarterbacks that they played.
0: Yeah, well, let's shift to corner because if I think there's one spot that could be a really big problem it's you know when when mike hilton and and steven nelson departed uh, joe hayden's been an unbelievable value for you guys since he left cleveland but the clock is ticking here and i think we've i've started to notice some signs justin lane was a guy that some people in brown circle's liked i just have not seen enough from him i know he gave shard higgins a chunk play in week 17 was over his i, I just I'm interested in your thoughts because I just have a tough time, and I know I like Cam Sutton in the nickel spot taking over that role, but there has to be some concern about corner, right? And the same for the Browns, too, when you look at kind of the injury depth stuff there. But but when I look at this defense, I see an elite, elite front, but i got to have con- some concerns about corner.
1: Oh, massive, massive concern about the cornerback position. And I think a lot of Steelers fans will downplay that. And, you know, listen, I don't think that we're going to see much of Justin Lane this year. I just don't. He hasn't earned it. He hasn't played well. He got leaped by James Pierre. I mean, I think Pierre is the one to watch here. Is Pierre going to be... I mean, we don't have much to base off. He played 22 defensive snaps last year. So, what does James Pierre look like? I mean, he's a lengthy guy. He's aggressive. He's your typical type of Steelers corner where he's scrappy. He will play with the run. He's a blitzer. He's a little bit lengthy. He's decently fluid, but he's a guy that, that has ball skills. You know, he's, he's a Pittsburgh corner. He's, he's that type of scrappy player. Um, so it's going to be the question, what can he do? Is James Pierre going to be ready to step up in that role? Now Sutton, you know, obviously taking over that nickel role, he's going to play probably on the boundary in base. That would be my guess. I think two starting corners are going to be Sutton and Hayden, and then you're going to kick Sutton inside of the nickel and then bring on Pierre for nickel dime um, packages. So I think Pierre is going to be the one to, to be the question mark. But behind that, even, you know, let's say Pierre does turn out to be a really good player. If they get one injury, I don't know who's stepping up. Uh, they signed Arthur Mullet. He's a guy with the Jets who has safety corner versatility, but again, never really been a starter. Again, I, to, I agree with you about Lane. I haven't really seen enough out of him. Behind that, I mean, it's Shakur Brown, Mark Gilbert. I mean, it's UDFAs. That, that's who it is behind them. So you know this is a this is a unit that's going to need young guys to step up. We don't need. There's no question of who the dime the dimebacker is. Like who's the fourth guy, and I think they're kind of been looking at maybe making that a safety more than a corner. Um, obviously they brought in Malik Cooker um to to visit, and maybe they're going to run three safety packages more, um to to kind of counteract that. Um, but again, it's a complete question mark. We don't even know what James Pierre is going to look like. And if he's good, again, there's really no depth.
0: Well, the safeties help make up for it. I mean, Mink is as good as they come across the NFL. I don't think that's a secret. And I think you saw some steps from Terrell Edmonds that have, have, have really pointed that there could be some positive, maybe even a second contract there. What are you guys thinking on on your safeties this year?
1: Yeah, I think the safeties are our are, are strength for sure. Uh, Minka Fitzpatrick, as you said, phenomenal player, has great range, can play in the slot easily with the main coverage. Phenomenal ball skills, just otherworldly instincts. You know, there's no question that Minka's going to be a great free safety and, and do whatever he wants to do. Uh, rob the middle of the field, be the buzz flat defender. I mean, wh- whatever. Minka can do it. Um, but you also look at Terrell Edmonds. I thought Terrell Edmonds really did take a step last year. Um, working in that box role, taking on tight ends primarily, especially after the Bush injury. I thought he did a really nice job of defending against tight ends down the stretch last year, man coverage uh, kind of got him out of the slot role against those shiftier receivers. And he's really thrived in that role can play too high, can play a single high. That was something he added to his game last year where he was playing a lot more single high and he did it well. Um, again, still doesn't really have ball skills and takes some pretty horrible angles, um, but he became a much more, a much, much better tackler. Um, and I think he's, he's, the game's really slowed down for Torella, and I think that's big. And he gives them schematic versatility on the back end along with Minko Fitzpatrick. You can run a lot of really good rotations with those two players, with those two athletes. They just play off each other really well. Again, you know, the, the depth is a question, and that's why they brought in Malik Cooker, also brought in Carl Joseph. So, you know, they're looking for some type of safety trade Norwood's there now. Mollett will probably get some, some tread um, down there at safety. Um, but, you know... It's gonna be a good duo, but the secondary kind of rides on well, how does that corner room
0: it is it is the safeties can can do a lot, but eventually you're gonna have those guys on islands it, teams are just smart enough to find what we call it Waldo where's Waldo on a defense? They found it with Spillane last year and they're going to try to keep doing it. And the Browns have tried to fix their Waldo issues because they had about seven of those guys on defense last year. So they're going to try their best there. I'm looking at two kind of important questions as we close, Nick. What What is – what what's your expectation this year? Kind of you can throw a record out. I've, I've had my guests try to throw a record out what you think it looks like. Uh, I'm just sort of curious the realistic expectations of people who are let it level-headed about covering this team.
1: Yeah, I mean – Listen, there's so many questions with this team from the corner situation to the tackles um, to how good can the running backs be. And, and more importantly, is Ben going to take another step back? I mean, we don't know if he's going to somehow deteriorate more. So far he looks decent, but, you know, if he does deteriorate over the course of a 17-game season so much where this team, you know, maybe starts strong but kind of falls off at the end of the year last year like they did last year, um. So this is a team that just has so many questions right now, and it's hard to bet on them to be really good. But because of their winning pedigree, because Ben Roethlisberger is Ben Roethlisberger, because they have so many weapons, because the pass rush is there, because they have a really good, in my opinion, I think they have a really good offense coordinator coming into Matt Canada, because Mike Tomlin knows how to win games. He's a great locker room guy. I, I do think that this team, it's just hard to bet against the Steelers, you know, not winning their fair share of games. So my prediction tentatively is nine and eight. That's kind of how I feel about them. Um, There's a lot of questions with the tackles, with the cornerback, again, all those reasons. That's why I'm keeping nine and eight kind of as my record right now. And I think Tomlin will get a winning season, but it wouldn't surprise me if they're better, if those tackles play well, it wouldn't surprise me if they're worse, if Ben falls off the the rails. Um, But it's, it's just tough. As you kind of have alluded to earlier, it's tough to bet against the Pittsburgh Steelers being decent this year. Yeah. At least they have a really tough schedule. They do. They have, I think, the toughest schedule in the NFL. But even in that vein, you know, they've overcome adversity before. And, and Tomlin's, a team, Tomlin's a guy that gets his team up in that underdog scenario. This team thrives in that underdog scenario under Tomlin. And I think they have enough talent to where they can compete with some really good teams still and, and etch out wins. So I'm going to go 9-8 uh, right now.
0: You're right. They don't know how to be bad. It's just not it's just not they're never wired that way. They won't let it happen. It could it could happen, I guess, but but I just have a hard time seeing them go 4 and 13 or five. I just I think you're spot on and they could they could find a way to overachieve too because they just have had enough people that have been there and you're also right where I talk about this all the time in the NFL uh, which is the underdog mentality, man, which is the nobody believes in us factor. And that is so important. So People still find a way to downplay that thing. And Cleveland used it last year all season long. It was a big part of who they are. So now people pumping up the Browns again is what is going to be very interesting to me because it's how do they handle that? How do they find that motivation? I'm curious as we close, Nick, last question, just your unfiltered opinion of what you think the Browns are, where they're going, Kind of, kind of your opinion of, of, uh, as a, a, you know, we all kind of cross watch teams in the division. So I'm, I'm, I'm interested in your thoughts.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think that the Browns obviously have their obvious strengths. They have, you know, Odell's coming back. And I think the theory that he's going to be some detriment is kind of crazy. Um, mm-hmm. I think he's going to be a big boon to their scheme. And they also have Anthony Schwartz there. I'm not big on Anthony Schwartz, I never really was. But I think that he gives them speed that they just did not have. And that was the biggest part. And especially with, you know, Baker being such a good thrower of the football deep, I just think that that's going to be nice to have. Um, I think they got a nice receiving core there. And obviously they still have Austin Hooper, David Njoku, Harrison Bryant, so they have a nice trio of tight ends. And I don't even need any introduction to the the running backs, Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt. That O-line is still very solid. You know, there are questions on the defense. Um, How do the linebackers look? I like the JOK pick, but, you know, it was Jacob Phillips. I mean, Jacob Phillips really had a nice year last year, but... Do they have enough linebackers to where they kind of can work through that? The, the front's obviously going to be great. I mean, it should be. The, with Miles Garrett and kind of all those guys there. Um, corner is a little bit of a question mark, and I think so is safety with maybe injuries hitting them. You know, I think the Browns are going to be a good team. Um, uh, now, I think people kind of hyping them up on the same level as Kansas City and Buffalo, I wouldn't put them up there um, just yet. I think, you know, they kind of have to prove that. Because, again, you know, just as the Steelers are, you know, this model of consistency, the Browns are good for the first time in forever. And, you know, it. And the biggest question for me is, well, Baker Mayfield had a really, really good second half of the season. And I thought in the first half, you know, he had his uh, rough patches, but he really picked it up. and He looked like a franchise quarterback. Board line top ten around that. He looked like a franchise quarterback. Can Baker kind of sustain that throughout the whole season? And can he be the guy that they win because of? And that's kind of the big thing for me. If he can do that, I think they can be a top team in the AFC. But right now, I think they're probably, well, 11 and 6 record somewhere around there for them. That feels about right for the Browns um, because, again, they do have some depth questions. But there's a really talented offense, a defense that should be a little bit better next year. Um, so they, they look like a good team, and Kevin Stefanski is a really good coach, and I feel like they have a good coaching staff there um, around Baker Mayfield and kind of everyone there. But I am interested to see kind of – how everything plays out with baker and and again as you said that mentality can they handle the winner's mentality which is what they're going to have
0: well vegas i'm talking about betting when i when i pod this weekend and vegas has them at about ten and a half wins so you saying 11 is pretty spot on nice some summation man from from afar about where this team is so uh, we could not get these insights on pittsburgh anywhere else honest great answers man and uh I am sure, Nick, that we will catch up during Pittsburgh week at some point to talk about these two teams and preview where they are uh, coming up. So uh, I know this fan base will, uh, listeners of this pod, will really appreciate these insights, man. We can't thank you enough.
1: Yeah, thanks for having me on, man. It's always a a pleasure to to be on here and, and, you know, discuss the Steelers and, and Browns, you know. And I'm hoping this rivalry, I'm hoping both teams are pretty solid this year because, you know, the rivalry just came back. So having two years sustained of a good rivalry that hasn't really been there since, I don't know, early 00s, is going to be something that I hope we can we can uh, treasure.
0: Me too, man. Me too. It would be a lot of fun to, to, to see these two play some really important games the rest of the way. So thanks again, Nick. No problem. All right, that's a wrap. We have gone around the entire AFC North. Make sure to check out the other episodes for the Bengals and Ravens if you have not done so. Check out the OBR where we have great stuff up on OTAs every moment of the day as these things are happening. Follow Fred Greetham for live updates from Berea. We will have something on Demetrik Felton this week, too. I finally want to get to his film room. Hopefully you guys check that out. So uh, thanks for joining us. Thanks for feedback. Some of you guys are leaving and letting me know about uh, some of your thoughts, some suggestions. Always open to those things, again. So uh, we will travel around a little bit more, look at some of the top AFC contenders, the the Titans, Colts, uh, teams that I think could have a realistic shot at this thing. Obviously the Chiefs, Bills, We'll get to those teams, too, maybe combine them into one pod. I would just like to get a feel for some of those top other contenders and and sort of where they stack up with the Browns. So this has been fun. Great guests. Thanks to Nick today. Thanks to Ken and thanks to James for for giving us these insights. We will be back with a Thursday night Chalk Talk session for you that will be run on Friday, and then we will have our bonus weekend content per usual. I think the guest was great And I think you'll enjoy it. So thanks for listening to this episode. Make sure you subscribe to this podcast, however you get it. We are all over the place. You can find us anywhere. It's posted to Twitter daily. A uh, a five-star review is appreciated. And a write-up is always, always really appreciated. So uh, again, thanks for joining us today. Have a great, great Thursday. And as usual, go Browns.